Erin Garrahy and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to their no laughing matter moment. The ones who aren't anonymous are always, um, proud dads of two beautiful angles. <laughs> angles! <laughs> so I can, accurate. like... I can honestly, and this is no offence to the sports team that I'm going to bring up now, but there's a certain type of comment from a certain type of profile picture, and I know when I click into that, it is going to say Leinster Rugby and Proud Dad of whoever. Sunday Times journalist, the woman behind the Golfgate Scoop and social media firebrand, Eva Moore is my guest this week. She talked to me about being divorced dad kryptonite, burning bridges over Golfgate, and why Beyonce might be considered a Republican hero. This season of The Laughs of Your Life is once again brought to you by FNF Fashion at Tesco. Pop in for the weekly shop and step out in style with a new wardrobe this autumn winter. Now that October is upon us, we can fully embrace the beauty of the crunchy leaves and the low rising sun. God, I sound like a poet, but truly, I love it. FNF at Tesco's new autumn winter range has well and truly arrived in my local shop, and I had a fabulous browse when I dropped in for the weekly shop in Liffey Valley this week. The food shop is never enough. Oh no, I'm a sucker for pieces that work across seasons that are comfy and long lasting and that wash well essential. With the bits I picked up this week, I am more than ready for the drop in temperature. Long sleeve tops, comfy but stylish sweats, gilets, bring on the layers. FNF have got something for every occasion and they have over 80 stores right across Ireland. And now for my chat with Aoife Moore. I hope you enjoy. Aoife Moore, you are extremely welcome to the Last of Your Life podcast. Thank you so much. Feels so privileged to be here, considering oh your previous guests. Oh, stunning. Who who now would have jumped out? Me or Martin? Would, would, st- would you be starstruck? <laughs> when I was telling my mom, I was like, the T-shirt was hot. <laughs> well, we've also had Michael Bublé. I actually did mention the T-shirt and Michael Bublé. <laughs> Two very similar men, dear, to be honest. Very <laughs> oh, dapper men. Well, I'm delighted to have you, and I'm going to rat you out straight away and say you got the time wrong. Yes, um, I was late. But you don't look anyway flustered. You look fantastic. Thanks very much. I was a bit sweaty running over Dawson Street, but. <laughs> You only had to come from Leinster House, so that was yeah, all Yeah, I was there. It's very sad. How's that going, living there? It's grand. Like, it's quiet because it's August. Yes. Um, but there is always just a hub of people. And the best crack people, I'm going to let you on a secret, the best crack people in the doll are the canteen ladies and the ushers. Are and they? they're always there. Okay. So at least you'll get a bit of crack in the canteen. Okay. Like, anyway. The chats. Yeah. What's the food like, actually? Lovely. Is it? I don't want to give away state secrets here, but uh, you get like a full roast dinner every day. Oh, there's like a terrible outrage over that now. I know. <laughs> That's why I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I can't wait to cause uproar. Okay, look at we will I'm sure we'll come back to that at some point, but we want to talk about you and I feel like people don't know a whole lot about you. They know this and that. Yeah, that's purposeful. <laughs> I'm sure it is. But we're gonna we're gonna dive a bit deeper and so I'd like to know even more. Mm-hmm. What is your first memory of laughter? Uh, it's not like one select memory, but I would say in my formative years, like as a toddler, so my dad is the middle child of seven boys. So there was no girls in the house. Wow. And I was the first grandchild on my daddy's side. So I was the first girl and my granddad just absolutely doted on me because I'd never had a girl. And my dad worked in a pub and my mommy worked in a supermarket. So my granddad would have, my granny and my granddad would have babysat me during the day 
and my granda and my uncle Terence, my dad's brother. Um, my uncle Terence is very different from my daddy. He's disabled, has had disabilities his whole life, but he is the happiest, most silly person in the world. So I would go over to grannies and Terence would be like doing accents and singing funny songs and putting on these voices and down on the floor with us. Whereas my dad's a bit more serious than that, do you know, like anyway. So, but Terence was always just going out of his way to make, and he had no kids of his own, but he always went out of his way to make us laugh. So I think when I think of like being really young and laughing, I think of my granny's house. It was just a very kind of warm house anyway. Yeah. And uh, being the only grandchild for a while, it was pretty sweet. (laughs) (laughs) For a while? For how long? This is, there's actually a really funny story about this. So (laughs) technically it's only nine months, but my cousin Grace was born in London. So I kind of had the rule of the roost for the first couple of years. So she came back, they came back from London when I was about two or three. And I was fuming, like really not coping well with having another grandchild in the house. And my granny used to um, get me to say prayers before I went to my bed. And it was around the time that Grace had come back and I wasn't as a two or three year old really coping with this. And uh, she was like, Hail Mary, full of grace. And I just turned to her and went, I'm not praying for her. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. The sass. I know, what a (laughs) bitch. Did that change? Did you become friends? We're like sisters. Oh, now. are yeah, you? Yeah. So yeah, we're we're super close. And is there any the Efa Grace more? Is yeah, it... it's not even a family thing. But my ma was a wee bit of human because I'm Efa Grace. And then when oh, her mommy stop. picked Grace, there was like she would she would admit it now, but she didn't say it at the time. But she was a wee bit resentful. That's it. But now I think rule. it's quite nice now. Yeah, because we both have the same surname as well. So oh, stop. Yeah, oh, yeah. People always think we're sisters because we look quite alike. So Mad. shout out to Grace. But yeah, praying for her all the time now. <laughs> Flat out praying for her. And so childhood then, what would be your memories of like day to day? You were happy out? I happy out. Like we come from a massive family. So as I said, my dad is the middle of seven. My mom is the youngest of 12. So there's only me and my brother and the family, but there was just always a million cousins, second cousins, third cousins. Like some of my third cousins are like my really close friends. Yeah. It's impossible. I think most Irish people would know this maybe be close to all your cousins when your family is that big yeah so some of my first cousins like I wouldn't even speak to them in the street but then all their ones you're like your third cousins you're a lot closer to yeah but yeah grew up in a very I think this is the main thing people would know about me but grew up in a very um from Derry City um during the peace process so grew up in a campaigning family so my mommy's brother uh was killed on Bloody Sunday and the family that side of the family would have been um involved or founded the bloody sunday justice campaign so that was very formative i think um it sounds weird when i explain it to people in the south that you know going to marches and protests but i wasn't even the only person in my class at school who was a bloody sunday relative so it was a very common sort of thing um and it was never you know people especially english people would be like oh that must have been you know so traumatic but you just you don't think about it it's no. just it's just part of your life and we weren't inherently political not affiliated with a party but the campaign would have been the big thing so yeah that's the only part of like my childhood that I've actually like talked about before but yeah. other than that like pretty standard I wish I had some very exciting things to say <laughs> about my childhood but nah nothing the first time you felt laughed at does that stand out for you I cannot believe I'm going to talk about this publicly, but maybe if, if it'll like free me of the embarrassment. But um, <laughs> I went to an all girls secondary school, which, you know, going through puberty, 
oh, the whole bit. So I was like a wee bit overweight, acne, braces, greasy hair, stretch marks, the whole thing. It was just an absolute 10. <laughs> and uh, I, I was coming and walking into school one day and like the big girls from the bus that I got the bus to school with were like behind me and I could hear them laughing or whatever. And um, But they were kind of like bitchy anyway. So I was like, mm, just walking on and being like, don't turn around, whatever. And you're embarrassed with everything at that age yeah. anyway. Oh my god! So it was only when I got into the my farm class and sat down that a girl out of the class was like, "Eva, there's a sanitary pad stuck to your school bag." No, no. Wait, you know the ones like a clean one, you know? Thank those God. Ones, okay, we've established. Know, yeah, right. Okay, those good. Those ones you get out of like sick bay at school or like Aldi and they don't have a packet. They're just these like stupid looking nappy things. Oh my God. I was about 13 no. and I swear to God. So I'm 31 now and I still wake up in a sweat thinking about it. And I haven't seen the girl in years who spotted because, it and no the girl who laughed at me at the bus and then she became really really good at eyebrows and dairy and I could never go there because I couldn't look because <laughs> <laughs> I was like I will just die in the chair <laughs> so she was like the brow queen you couldn't go to her I, everybody was going there she's booked out for months and I was like yeah I don't even like my eyebrows <laughs> no you need to make it your mission now before the end of this year you <laughs> to need go to rock into her now that it's I out know there what the worst it is. she probably doesn't even remember and this has haunted my soul for so long oh my god but it's so true at that age like your very existence hearing yourself breathing being, being alive <laughs> is embarrassing like so embarrassing you're just embarrassed to do anything <laughs> But then, like, um, yeah, so school, I'm presuming you were fairly good at, or at least English. Good at English. Yes. I was not a very good student. Um, I had issues with authority. I was a bit of a tearaway teenager, actually. I'm sure most people who work with me in Leinster House wouldn't be surprised to hear this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was a bit of a tearaway. Um, just hanging around with a lot of older people, drinking, smoking weed, doing all that stuff. Very, very young. Um, really? Kind of grew up way too quick, yeah. Um, drove my man absolutely crackers. Um, and then, uh, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> oh yeah, I was good. You're like, sorry, I'm so yeah, rock and roll, I, was, I can't remember. I, yeah, I was just, just <laughs> jag over here. Um, so yeah, I was decent at school, but it was one of those ones like she doesn't apply herself. Yes, she's never going to reach her potential. It's such a pity, blah blah blah. Yeah, she's never going to reach her potential. I got caught. I don't know what you call it down here. We call it Dobbin school. So like when you just don't go. Like on the Mitch. Yeah. So I got caught doing that 11 times. I remember my dad, I remember coming home one day and my dad was like, you are not good at this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're not getting away with it. You've been caught 11 times just to stop. Like, oh my um, God. And where would you go? I'll just hang around the park and get a bottle of cider and stuff from the estate. Like, it's just stupid. It was actually handier to just go to school because you got fed, you know what I mean? Like... (laughs) Um, so college then how like do you so you you say you could have done better mm. but were you happy with where you ended up you it was Glasgow yeah. first yeah Glasgow first yeah. yeah so I actually got in because of my English results I actually got into a very snooty university um to do English and politics and I just knew that it wasn't for me I knew I couldn't I knew I wanted to be a journalist and then if I had to do a master's or a different course after it, I wouldn't have been able to afford it because I started uni at the start of the crash. Yeah. So I wouldn't knew my man dad wouldn't have been able to afford it, wouldn't have had the money. So I did straight journalism in Glasgow and I ended up staying in Glasgow for eight years. Wow. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. It's a great city. Um, 
just had the best time, partied a lot and got my degree and then I started my journalism career over there and I have taken every single unglamorous job that has been offered to me. Um, some of the stuff I have done, like... What ones, what stands out? I once did a story... So there's a thing in journalism called a death knock. Um, so when somebody dies in a notable way or someone is murdered, um, the press has to go to the door. Um, you have to knock in and attempt to speak to the family and they always send the youngest reporters and they usually send girls why you're less likely to get assaulted basically right. because people are at a really vulnerable place in their life and they don't want to bother with the press and it is a total roll of the dice you could go to one door and the people are like come on in have a cup of tea here's a 10 photographs of our loved one and i want to tell their story and then I have also heard of been people like been chased away, <laughs> like an old lady full on chased me down the street in Mullerwell. Yeah, <laughs> stop. It was the mother-in-law of this poor woman who um, died while she was on a sunbed, and the sunbed was on, and um, it was like a real tabloidy story at the time. And I got sent to her mother-in-law's house, and this little old lady with the most thick Scottish accent. I went to the door, and I think I just got out. Hello, I'm Aoife. I'm here from the press. And she left it. I think it was a cane or a walking stick or something. And I was like, oh my God, I'm dead. I have never turned on my heel so Stop. quickly, screaming and shouting and effing and blinding. And like, oh my God, the fear. I know. But in a way, it was probably good to be thrown in the deep end like that. Yeah, I think everybody needs to get those kind of. I mean, I wouldn't go back for no. a million euro, but it is good. You have to get them out of the way. Yeah. I oh, what else has happened? Oh, I once um went to court to report on this kind of love rat footballer who had lost his license because of speeding. Can, you say, can you say who it was? No. And in Scotland, <laughs> you can um in Scotland you can go to this thing called the Justice of the Peace Court and you can try and apply for your license if it's beneficial to the community. Right. So he was basically begging for his license and um he was known as this kind of love rat so I had this kind of cartoon villain of a boss who was like send Aoife and make sure you wear a skirt yeah I know so then I went and he knew I was from the press and he was really really rude to me on the first day and then the court went on the recess and um, he we ended up sitting outside the court together and struck up a conversation and he was from Derry and he had been in Derry a lot to play football and then he was like, do you want to go get a coffee? And then we ended up going for coffee and he started telling me about his divorce. And I realized about 10 minutes in that I had just accidentally been become on a date. <laughs> Stop. Oh and bear in mind, I was like 22 and he was like retired from football and was a manager at this stage of a team. And he must have been, God, he must have been 40. Stop it. Mm. Yeah. That just the love rat that just won't yeah, get. Oh my! And how did you get out of it? He You're like, me, well, I went on another date. Uh, obviously, he asked me for a free dinner. Um, <laughs> no, he asked me for. Um, he asked me for my number at the end. That's why I realised it was a date. It, it was a date, and I was like, oh, I, it's not ethical. I can't. Uh, I can't do that. And I could tell by his face, he was a bit like, hmm. Why did you come in here? I bought you coffee. Oh it's like I'll give you the three eighty. <laughs> Oh my god! I'll drive you. We've no car. <laughs> I feel like you have more stories. We're gonna have to talk about them off air. Yeah, we'll go for a wine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, Eva. The moment when, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Right. 
when I saw this, I was like, this could be my entire life, right? So I'm going to um, tell this now, and you're going to be like, how is this going to be funny? But it is. Okay. So when I was 17, my best friend in the whole world died, right? Right. He got glandular fever, and then he was quite sick with that. And then eventually he got leukemia. He was, he's really well known um, in our hometown. He was a big GAA player, um, played for the Derry Miners. He was ate, slept, breathed GAA. That was all I cared about. Um, so we were all like out drinking and smoking and running about. He never did any of that. He was the good boy, like always a training. So he got leukemia and he was also the funniest person I have ever met. And this is going to sound very grim, but cancer made him funnier because the dark humor and northerners in general we do have a very dark humor like um even when you're not trying to be funny sometimes you can really unsettle people <laughs> with the with things that you come out with so we were only 17 he didn't have id um so and all his hair had fallen out so he was like completely bald no eyelashes no eyebrows and he could never get in the pubs before because he was so young looking and uh he when he lost all his hair he used to wear this mad russian hat it was a big furry, <laughs> furry hat, right? so we'd all be going out and nights out like and all the guards would get under the bar because we had boobs or whatever so you could get in <laughs> he never used to get in so what we he worked out that if he wore his russian hat and he got to the door before they asked you for id they asked you to take off your hat so right. they'd be like all right buddy took off your hat he would take the hat off they would see the baldy head and all this quite clearly sick and then once he took the head off, they wouldn't ask right either. They've gone on him. <laughs> Why does that work system? Absolutely. And then the time I remember, like, if you didn't laugh, you cry. The ultimate one was, so we got told then that it wasn't, the treatment hadn't taken. So they were sending him home to die. Um, this 17-year-old healthy GAA player. And they just said, didn't like, it's, it's a, the leukemia has come back and there's nothing we can do for you. And we all went back to his mommy's house and there was maybe like eight of us, oh, like 16, 17 boys and girls sitting around the table. And it was like a silence for the first time. Like we'd all just kind of processing it and no one really knew what to say. And you know, the way everyone has like that person in their group of friends who's like such an idiot and like yeah. everyone kind of takes the piss out of them all the time. Yeah. So that person in our group's dad was a driving instructor. And it's total silence and we're all drinking tea and his girlfriend Claire's there and she's crying and <laughs> the fella goes, um, Brian, um, my dad said if you want, um, he'll take you out in some driving. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Oh gosh. <laughs> Everyone's like, what the fuck? The whole table just turned and stared at him. And McKeever, his name is Brian McKeever, we all called him McKeever. McKeever was like, what so I can drive to my own funeral and I swear to god I thought I was going to, like I couldn't breathe like just I think if you know all the tension oh, as well I actually have goosebumps thinking yeah, about yeah. that and at that age as well I know. Like, and like when I look at people now who are like 16, 17 I'm like oh they're like wee babies and I thought I was so grown up because we had so had to put up with so much so much but yeah it is one of those things because even though I talk about them very openly like I would talk about him nearly every day and there's like pictures of him all over the house and it's weird now even if I meet new people or I go on a couple of dates with somebody and then I'm like at what point am I going to have to tell you that all my friends are dead <laughs> <laughs> well if that's your answer for uh the moment when you didn't laugh you cry 
What could possibly be your no laughing matter moment? I know, oh God. Um, so I've thought a lot about this. I think, not to get too per me about it, but I would say um, it's like a, it's, it was a pro. So basically the success I have had in my career in the last couple of years um, came very unexpectedly. Mm. And it came very quickly um, in terms of like becoming some way, like I am absolutely not famous, but even just becoming like public property in some way or like a publicly known person. And I've talked about this publicly before, but the trolling um, that that brings, um, I really wasn't expecting it because kind of the way I have it in my head is like, I didn't go on X Factor. I didn't go on Love Island. I don't want to be famous. Mm. So I couldn't understand why these people online had assumed things about me, said things about me, hated me, um, death threats, just the most defamatory rumors um, that I've slept well or journalists, that I've slept with TDs, that, you know, all the kind of stuff, misogynistic stuff you can imagine. A lot of it's very sectarian, very anti-Northern and that sort of stuff um, in the last year that's definitely my no laughing matter. Although I have a great support system and my friends and my family and the Irish Examiner when I was there were a great support system and not everyone gets that. But I find it really hard to cope with. It really affected my relationships. I became very, what's the word? I started moderating what I said. So things like I got offered a, a more regular column in the Irish Examiner and I turned it down. I got because, asked to, because of that? Yeah, because I got a, I got asked to go on um, an episode of Claire Byrne and I told them I didn't want to do it. It got to the point where I didn't want to go on TV or I didn't want to because I felt like I was moderating my language so much that I wasn't even saying what I actually meant. Yeah, you weren't like, fulfilling well, your potential. Yeah, so I was like, what's the point in me doing this then? Like, it all felt so false. And then I have definitely in the last year come round to the fact is like, I'm going to get shit anyway. So I may as well say what I want to say. Yeah. And I've come to this. <laughs> this is the way I say it in my head. And this has taken a lot of very expensive <laughs> therapy, right? But the way I look at it, right, is like, you know, Cameron Diaz. Yeah. Never met the woman. I assume she's lovely, right? Cameron Diaz's face annoys me, right? Can't watch her in films. I'm sure she's lovely. Can't, I've never seen her something about Mary. There's just something about her that annoys me. That woman hasn't done anything, right? At all. She's probably lovely. That's not her fault. No, so but so I'm someone's Cameron Diaz. <laughs> so <laughs> my point is that some people are just going to be like, "Listen, it's totally irrational, yeah. but I hate you." Yeah, I just have to deal with that. It's not Cameron Diaz's fault. No, it's just on me. I mean, the difference is I don't send Cameron Diaz tweets on her either. Exactly, exactly. But you know what I mean? I get you. Yeah. I, I feel like that about Anna Kendrick. <gasps> yes, I can see. I can see that. It's just, the same with Kristen Stewart. There's something we're gonna go and I'm gonna list it. Who else have I got now yeah. in the back pocket? Um, I I can't. I don't know what it is like that. Yeah. I, I just can't. But I I don't send her tweets. But I yes. get I get your point. Yeah, exactly. So I think the it's last shit. Yeah. It's so shit. And no matter how many times your friends and family say to you, the difference is it's a very isolating experience when it happens to you because friends are like, well, none of my friends or family are in journalism or are famous or yeah. anything like that. And even the more isolating thing was with me, especially at the examiner, was that none of the rest of my colleagues were getting anywhere near what I was getting. I would say I got more at the examiner than the rest of the politics team put together. None of them had to go to the Gardaí. You know, it was... What do you think that is? Being a woman? 
being a woman North. being northern being working class i think being a woman who has a lot of opinions and very much holds the government to account and then the, the other really hurtful thing that used to bother me was this notion that i wasn't irish or i wasn't irish enough people used to say things like her coming down here or coming to this country as if my irishness is somehow i'm not a, i'm not allowed to criticize this government because it's not my government um, and obviously I am not putting this on a par with, you know, people who come from like ethnic minority backgrounds who also get that mm-hmm. 10 times worse than me. Um, but that kind of partitionist attitude I find really hurtful. Whereas the kind of, I don't want to say regular, regular abuse, but most of my regular abuse is that I am an IRA supporting Shinner who is down here as some sort of plant. And I've heard it, I have heard it from people in Leinster House who saw so-and-so said that you're a plant for this party this is all our journalists this is TDs there is just and it's it's bad when it's people on the internet but when it's the people around you as well yeah and you know I've talked very openly about being trolled and stuff before but there is sometimes a feeling I think within the public and and around Leinster House that in some way you kind of not deserve it but it's all part and parcel of the game. Yeah. And it's, if I worked in Tesco's, I wouldn't be putting up with this. So no. why am I putting up with at the Sunday Times of the Examiner? So yeah, that would probably be... Would, would much of it be anonymous accounts? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. The way I see it's it... It's always... The ones who aren't anonymous are always um, probably dads of two beautiful angles. <laughs> angles! <laughs> I can like I can honestly and and this is no offense to the sports team that I'm going to bring up now but there's a certain type of comment from a certain type of profile picture and I know when I click under that it is going to say Leinster Rugby and proud dad of whoever like what the hell it's just I think and it's not reflective of most people in the Republic of Leinster Rugby or Leinster Rugby for that matter um, but it is there's just a certain type of very middle class man as Paul Hosford always says that I'm their kryptonite I'm divorced dad kryptonite <laughs> he says that <laughs> oh my god but it is it's the fact that I look the way I look as well they've decided long ago that they want everyone they look like they want the people who tell them their news to be Fergal Boyers or Pat Leahy and like you need to get with the times because I'm not going anywhere. Kira Feeling's not going anywhere. Zara King's not going anywhere. But the abuse that we all get is definitely uh, different from the abuse, say, like Hugh Connell or Phil Bryan get. Well, fuck them. Yep. Anyway, the person you always laugh with, Aoife. Um, There's two. So my two best friends, Regan and Maria. So I went to school with Maria. She's from Derry. And Regan... I met on my first day in halls in Glasgow. She's from Belfast. And we lived together in what last week, it was a flat in Glasgow that, you know, party flats. Yeah. And you don't know when it was decided that your flat was the party flat, <laughs> but by God. So as Regan described it last night as a one-stop freak shop. <laughs> freak shop. It was this really dated old like tenement flat, like Georgian flat, really high ceilings, um, sofas that I can 
only imagine were designed when De Valera was <laughs> Taoiseach. Um, everything was like the carpets were disgusting, the sofas were disgusting, the curtains were like you know it was really heavy because it was like Victorian windows. Oh yeah, really, gross, like, gross. <laughs> um, we got the TV from a charity shop and it was like the size of the room. Um, and then because the place was in such like disrepair, we didn't really give a shit about it. You know, yeah. like the lino was peeling off and all this sort of stuff. But yeah, we used to have loads of parties there. And like Northern, I find very much dairy people anyway, really hospitable. Yeah. So anyone who was coming over for a Celtic match, anybody who'd come over and they were like, come on, stay in ours. Come on, stay in ours. You have to sleep in our disgusting sofas. <laughs> and like you used to come in, say on a Saturday morning, there'd be like half a Celtic supporters club sleeping on the floor <laughs> and sleeping bags. And no one knows who invited them. And like me and Marie, Maria and Regan were technically the people on the lease when we were together kind of all kind of bounce off of one another and I think the ability to have people in your life or one person in your life that you can say absolutely anything to yeah. and you know that there's no judgement or especially like, when you're doing what you're doing and things get mad yeah then just to be able to check in with them and go oh no yeah I have and you know see when someone sends a whatsapp and they say listen I'm going to tell you this but I wouldn't say this to anyone else you're like oh yes <laughs> This is going to be a piping hot take. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, Eva, a time where you had the last laugh. Um, I would say I started out early in journalism. Um, I had a range of not very good um, editors. I had one. <clears throat> this is, again, not slating private schools, but one very privately educated uh, editor who came in and was the boss of a number of papers and that had a lot of young women working for underneath him. Um, I was only about 23 or something at the time. By the time he was like two months in, he had left every one of us in tears at our desk. Um, Lovely. And I remember he told me he wanted to extend my probation um, and I was really badly paid and I needed to get out of my probation so I could get an extra, I don't know, it was probably about a grand a year or something. Right. But, um, he wanted to extend my probation because I left at 10 past five in the evenings. The reason I had to leave at 10 past five is because I walked to the station and the station, the train was at 20 to six or yeah. whatever. And then there wasn't another train to whatever quarter past six. But anyway, and he gave me this whole lecture about how I never tried hard enough or, or did enough. And I was kind of like, you've only been here for two months and I've been here for six. Yeah. And like, you're not really. But I think it was more like a power play kind of thing. Yeah and that seems to be a running team yeah it was and it's very common in journalism with young it's quite interesting when you go into newsrooms you will find a lot of the younger staff are women the further up the ranks you go less and less it goes and a lot of women just leave journalism because the hours are ridiculous it's not like suitable for a young family and childcare things like things like that but yeah so he definitely and he gave me all this you're never going to make it in journalism you know, you don't have, you know, the dedication. And um, I knew he was wrong. You know, that kind of yeah. way. Years later, years and years later, he ended up sitting next to one of my best pals from uni at this journalism day in Scotland. And he was like, um, yeah, I've just heard about Aoife and how well she's getting on. I think it was just after Gulfgate or whatever. Of course, and, uh, out like, of the yeah. woodworks. He was like, oh, um, to my friend. And he was just like, yeah, you know, always saw something special <laughs> Stop it. And Amy was like, Do you think you didn't tell me that you were an arsehole? <laughs> do you honestly think I don't know? Yeah, that do you you're think Gerrit's don't talk to each other about this? <laughs> um, 
but yeah we you mentioned Golfgate which we kind of have I'm sure you're sick are you sick of talking about it no like it comes in waves because yeah. everyone wants to talk about it like for a couple of days and then it goes off again but yeah I'm happy to talk about it like what does it feel like so the, the day that you knew that that was about to be unveiled mm. to the nation yeah what's that feeling like did you could you have anticipated no how no you never could have no we went through like a range of emotions we found out at 11 o'clock in the morning that it had happened the story went out I know this day like forensic detail the story went out online at 10 past 7 at night and we had to put it out that night because we had heard that another journalist had been asking questions and we were like have to just go I'd gone to the gym to try and calm down and I was on the treadmill and I had more followers than Paul at the time so Paul was like you tweet it and within five minutes I had to leave the gym like I couldn't my phone just exploded but the entire day we were going back and forward so we had to phone everyone on the table plan um and then you know phone Phil Hogan and Dara Cleary and the Arctic Golf Society and the hotel and the hotel manager I spent a good 20 minutes in the hotel on the phone with the hotel manager discussing what a partition is and if a partition made something a different room who would have thought partition could cause such like, drama um my god what do you think then i remember paul saying do I have a roll of the partition please do you know that song <laughs> no. oh my god you need to you need to dance it's beyonce partition oh my god you Repu- should do- republican hero beyonce <laughs> I'm not really back Oh my god Well okay Sorry. We won't talk about that uh, You need to listen to that song I will do Well oh, it's the, actually The theme of go- the, What's that Soundtrack to Golfgate Yes you should do a reel About Golfgate mm. And that can be the backdrop Sorry I'm so sorry to interrupt Anyway go um, on So the Yeah so halfway through then Paul was like Eva I think they're going to have to resign And I was like Nah surely not But we did go through Like Feelings of like This is the biggest story ever then the more people you would speak to, they would kind of gaslight you and be like, no, 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 this was fine. This was within the rules. And then you start questioning yourself. Yeah. Saying, you know, was this within the rules? Maybe I have the rules wrong, even though I've checked the government website and I've checked Phil Jordan website and I've checked the hospitality website. And uh, yeah, so we went back and forward. But I had absolutely no idea it was going to end up in the New York Times. Um, it just took us both, me and Paul, completely by surprise. Like truly I couldn't have predicted it it was mad I, it was a real moment in time like I think it was the perfect storm of like oh people lads we had nothing else going on we had nothing <laughs> else and we were so we were all just so fuming so fuming with life raging and how everything was panning out and it was just the per- the timing was just I so I just wanted to get my hair done and see my granddad <laughs> and it's just like God let me see my granddad I know I think it was you're right it was the perfect storm we were all really pissed off that we'd been locked in the house there was a feeling uh, rightly or wrongly I'm not saying I agreed with this but there was a feeling that the rules didn't apply to certain people yeah it fed under that narrative I think other people used that for their own kind of nefarious reasons after that but I do think there was this kind of re- feeling that the government didn't really understand what lockdowns were doing to businesses um, especially hospitality stuff like that people's weddings are called off you know with this is the stage like one person was going to funerals you know old men were not going to their wives funerals in yeah. case they caught covid like it was horrible yeah and then the notion and i don't think the fact it was golf helped but the notion <laughs> definitely not that they had a do while we were all sitting in the house really riled people up and the fact that it was 
the Arachnus Golf Society, I think, just was the top of the iceberg. Yeah. I always say this when I do talks at um, schools and whatever else. I burned a lot of bridges with Golfgate. You know, there are a lot of people still very angry about it. A lot of very um, sour grapes. With... Because they were caught. Yeah. And I had contacts, um, really good contacts that I lost. And I knew when I was writing that story, I was going to lose them. But that's the job. There can't be fear or favor. You have to do it. And some days I'm like, I do roll my eyes if I need to know something and I know that I can't get it because this person doesn't speak to me anymore. But that's the job. And you don't think those relationships will be mended like ever? I think the people who still hold a grudge against me from Golfgate were the type of people who were looking for a grudge anyway. with me anyway. Grant. If laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? Um, drinking cans <laughs> with my granda. My Aww. granda is... Oh, Shane liked that one. Um, my, gra- my granda is... Stop! Just showing, uh, for the purposes of the recording, oh just God, showing it's... Darren a picture of my granda on my screenshot. Saving your phone. Yeah. He's your bestie. Uh, he's my bestie. He's 85. Um, he is the best crack. He can drink me under the table. Um, he doesn't like going out. He sits in, loaded cans, watching Match of the Day. And then once Match of the Day is over, he puts on like Hank Williams and all our terrible country music and sits and listens to that. And he thinks Spotify and YouTube are like gifts from God. <laughs> he cannot get over it. I'm like, just pick a song, any song I can put it on feet. And he can't. Co- and like the song he picked, he said he'd only ever heard it twice in his life because he only listens to the radio. And it wasn't Stop. a famous song. It was like an old Frank Sinatra song. It was on like some B-side or something. So I was able to put it on for him. And then he was like, oh, I love this song. Um, so yeah, like I had a really tough year last year and Christmas especially was really hard Christmas and New Year's. And New Year's Eve, I sat in my granda's house, you know, makeup on, drinking cans, listening to Hank Williams. And I was like, there is nowhere else in the world that I'm oh supposed my. to be. And uh, he's hilarious though. He was like, oh, I'm getting so old now. And I was like, why? And he was like, can only have about six cans. We'll have to go on the vodka cokes. I was like... <laughs> If I had sex cans and went on the vodka cokes, I'd be dead. You're 85 years old. Oh my God, I hope that's gold. He's amazing. Okay, are you ready for your quick fire round? Mm-hmm. The actor that always makes you laugh. Oh, Jack Nicholson. Nice. Mm, I like the series. Have you ever seen As Good As It Gets? No. Oh, you need to watch it. It's very funny. Okay. Very good. Yeah. The actress that always makes you laugh. Uh... Julia Louise Dreyfus. She is Elaine in Seinfeld and she yes. is Veep. She's oh, the her. yeah, she's the vice president of Veep. She is hilarious. And she's also hilarious in real life. Okay, oh really? Okay, mm. I must watch. Yeah, she's on um the David Letterman, you know, the and my next guest or yeah, yeah oh she does one of those. Yeah, oh, I love she's that. very good, yeah. Okay, the movie that makes you laugh out loud. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Stunning. That's, that's scene, actually that's never been that one. scene where he waves as Willie at her and she breaks up whim. Every time. Every time. <laughs> He's amazing. Do you know that happened to him in real life? That's based on a real thing that happened. No, it's not. Yeah. I've heard him getting interviewed about it. Amazing. So and Russell good. Brand then is just the cherry on top of it. Just such a good film. <laughs> okay. The comedian that always makes you laugh. Um uh, no, I think I would say Tiffany Haddish. Okay. Love Tiffany Haddish. And then for an Irish comedian, oh, there's so many. I know everyone's so good. Probably would say David O'Doherty. I am a wee bit biased because he's my friend. But David okay. O'Doherty, his sh- most recent show I went to see for my birthday and it was amazing. Okay. So, so good. And finally, Aoife, your best or worst joke? 
god. Um, I didn't rehearse this. Ah, Aoife. Uh, ah, Aoife. What did um, one tonsil say to the other? What? <laughs> Get dressed, the doctor's stuck in a sight. really good as a tonsillitis sufferer I appreciate that the only reason I noticed is that somebody used that as a chat up line on me like two weeks ago so it just came into my head it must have made an impression I remembered the joke but I never gave him my number put it that way <laughs> oh my god even more it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so so much thank you for sharing the last of your life thank you for listening to the last of your life podcast with Eva Moore I really hope you enjoyed it and if you did don't forget as usual to like subscribe rate and review it really helps the show if you do this podcast is produced by chemistry media and collaborative studios and this season of the laughs of your life is brought to you by fnf fashion at tesco